is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Scott Ambler's here. Scott, thank you for taking time out of your day. Hey, my pleasure. Good to be here. Um, you're a very busy man. You have a lot of things going on, and you're between events. You just finished DA Day, and you're about to head to Global Congress, right? I am, yeah. So what happened last week? Yeah, so uh, DA Day was, a, it was an online virtual conference. It was a little over five hours. In, in length. And basically, it was a, a group of DA practitioners sharing their experiences. Uh, everybody had about 15 minutes to speak. You know, a few people went over, but um, it was all good. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to start seeing the, the videos being posted online for the people who uh, have access to them. And uh, eventually, they'll be made uh, available public, uh, publicly to everybody. But um, right now, they're just, uh, you know, pay-per-view type of deal. But okay. yeah, a lot, a lot of great stuff uh, um, happened there. A lot of people were sharing ideas of how they're actually applying uh, the Dispensable Toolkit in uh, enterprise class situations. Okay. And so you're going to be heading to Global Congress, and I'm imagining that there's going to be a lot of folks there who might have seen the press release, which I'm going to ask you about in a moment, but they may not be familiar with you or for the work that you do. So what what's a quick way of explaining to that audience, like what where you come from, what you're bringing to the table, why you're part of this conversation that's going to happen at the Congress. I've been um, I've been doing Agile since pretty much the beginning. I was the the person who led the development of the Agile modeling uh, methodology in the early 2000s. So you know, back in the day, you know, it seems weird now, but back in the day, it was a radical concept to be modeling on whiteboards and using Post-it notes and index cards and paper and all these great inclusive tools. And people were doing it, but nobody was talking about it. So. Um, we basically led the development of making that uh, uh, acceptable to you know the plighter uh, modeling community, I guess we'd say, and uh, and also led the uh, development of the agile data method, where we focused on answering the question: How do you uh, approach uh, the data aspects of IT projects, um, including data warehousing and data analysis and all these great things in an agile manner? And it's um, very possible to do so and highly desirable. So then uh, over the years, I, uh, myself and, and others, we uh, were helping organizations to, to adopt Agile and Lean at scale and in complex situations. So where a lot of the Agile community at the time was talking about these, and, and in many ways still do, talk about these fairly straightforward situations with small teams that are co-located, taking on reasonably straightforward problems. But we were dealing with issues like large teams and regulatory compliance and um, geographic distribution, organizational distributions, how do you do outsourcing and contracting and stuff like that, um, and technical complexities, how do you deal with legacy and how do you deal with um, very complex domains. So we were solving those problems. And then um, eventually that, that evolved in what, into what became the, the Disponential Toolkit. So myself and Mark Lines, my uh, business partner at the time, we uh, co-led the, the creation of the toolkit um, originally, we started calling. Uh, originally, it started as a uh, disponential delivery. So we were answering the question: How do you do uh, software development in an agile manner in an enterprise class situation from beginning to end? And you know, we we purposely um, address the issue of projects and not and non projects, so product teams versus project teams. We sort of uh, we were at the forefront of all that good sort of stuff, and and still are. Um, we you know we purposely. Um, in the in the DA toolkit now, um, we purposely um, describe, you know, give advice of when to do projects, when not to do projects, and uh, good things like that, and and many other uh, many many other good choices. So um, the goal with Dispensable Delivery was to show how to actually do this agile software development stuff from beginning to end 
um, and all aspects of it. So not just the, you know, how do you run meetings and what the mindset is, but you know, how do you address architecture and how do you, how does testing fit in and how does development fit in and, and uh, how does governance fit in? There's a, there's a critical topic. Um, so how do all these, and how do you, all these things fit together in a streamlined manner? And more importantly, how do you tailor your approach to meet the needs of your situation? Because every team is in a unique group of people in a unique situation. So every team will have a, a slightly different way of working. So how do you enable that and yet still guide and govern these teams in an effective manner and in a consistent manner? And then over the years, it, it evolved into to address more aspects of, of um, business agility now. But um, you know, we started uh, addressing DevOps and uh, in a in a enterprise class manner. So not only do we have the you know the usual continuous integration and continuous delivery aspects of DevOps, but how do you bring security into it? How do you bring data into it? How do you, you know, how do you do DevOps when you have hundreds or thousands of teams in flight? How do you do support um, in that sort of a situation? How do the business people um, get involved? So there's some very interesting questions that um, that uh, are important aspects of DevOps that enterprise class uh, organizations still have to address. And so we, we do that in DA. And of course, um, you know, how do you do disponential IT and eventually um, a disponential enterprise? So how do you do enterprise agility across your entire organization? So we talk about tactical scaling in terms of how do you do, um, how does a team address the challenges that it, like a single team address the challenges that it faces and strategic scaling, which is how do you bring agile across the entire organization and how does it all fit together? So um, the Discipline Agile Toolkit uh, addresses that nicely. So it's a, in, in some ways, it's a one-stop shop. Okay. So if, if I was at the Congress next week and um, I was in, uh, I guess this will probably launch the day of Congress. So if I was at Congress right now and I was having a conversation with somebody about different scaling options, is there a way that you kind of message or explain how your approach differs from some of the other approaches? Like what is the, what is the thing that makes this different? And so, you know, so first of all, you know, if you happen to be listening to this, um, you know, during Congress, then certainly come down to the PMI booth. Uh, we've got a <laughs> large section there. Um, so, you know, come by and say hello to me because I'm you probably... just snuck be- that right in. Yeah, 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 definitely, you know. <laughs> well, the, the problem with standing around in a booth is it gets boring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please come and entertain me. Um, you know, say hello, take mercy. Um, but anyways, yeah, so I answer your question, though. Um, the, the main differentiator um, with DA are, are, well, there's several things. So first... Um, we're firm believers in context. So every team is unique. Every person is unique. We face unique problems. So you end up having, you know, if you want to be effective, you need to have a, a unique way of working. And uh, and this is true of any team. And this has always been true. You know, there's been, you know, great delusions about um, repeatable processes and forcing every team to work in the same way. And, and what that does, all that does is motivate the teams to, you know, create the same type of artifacts, almost always fake the artifacts to make it look to management as if they're following the official process. So, yeah. you know, you know let, let's, let's observe that's happening and, and give up on that. And instead, you know, we should focus on how can we enable teams to be as effective as possible, you know, do the best that, you know, we like to see in Discipline Agile, start where you are, do the best you can in the situation that you face and always strive to get better. Okay. And we hope you do that. The, so every team will be neat, but you can still have um, consistent um, governance across these teams. And so this is a, a huge strength of Discipline Agile. We answer the governance question. And a lot okay. of organizations first come to Discipline Agile 
um, specifically because of that, because they start to realize, oh, our, all our teams are working different ways. Or, you know, we have some teams doing, you know, waterfall traditional stuff, some teams sort of doing agile or their version yeah. of agile, other teams doing their version of lean and everybody's version is different. And, um, and that's okay, but we still need to govern. We still need to lead. And uh, we still need to, to enable these teams to do the right thing. So, um, you know, we answer, you know, in Discipline Agile, we answer that question. And, um, and, it's, and it's, not your, it's not your grandfather's approach to governance. So, you know, if you, <laughs> if fundamentally, if you, if you want to, and this is hard, right? Like the governance people struggle in many organizations. And the, so if you want to govern an Agile team, you need to govern in an Agile manner. So the, the way that you govern a traditional team will kill your agile efforts and many yeah. organizations have found that out the hard way. But at the same time, a, the way that you govern an agile team will probably kill your traditional teams. So we need to, uh, you know, we need to re- find the middle on that. Yeah. So, uh, and, so there, and there's ways to do it, but you, you need to, you need to up your governance game a lot. So, um, but, and that's okay. So we, we show how to do that. We're also, um, and because of that, because of all these things that, you know, you're unique and yet still you need uh, consistent governance, we, we provide guardrails. And I think that's, that's absolutely critical. So, you know, you can still have common, common conventions and, and common um, regulations and standards. And, and, and this, I think, is an important thing that um, some teams have, have regulatory compliance issues. Yeah. And, and fair enough, right? This is reality. And that's okay. So a team in a regulatory situation will work differently than a team in a non-regulatory situation. And many organizations struggle with this. And, and a, a team that only faces financial regulatory concerns will have it a, a bit easier, and sometimes they're in denial of this, but they'll have it a bit easier than the teams facing life-critical regulatory concerns. So You, we, you mean they're in denial about the fact that they have an easier situation? Than the life-critical folks. Yes. Yeah, I've done okay. both, I, right? Yeah. I completely <laughs> agree with you, but it was... Yeah, I, 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 I've, I've been in some very weird conversations where, you know, the financial people say, well, no, this is just as hard as life critical. And you know, nobody's going to die. Really, how many life critical projects have you been on? Well, I've never been on one. Okay, yeah. well, thanks. Yeah, nice talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, have that conversation after you've experienced yeah. it. Um, but anyways, that's okay. And they're both hard, you know. Yeah, don't get me wrong. They're both hard. And, 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 and the point that we like to make is that, you know, if you have a process that's a process that's regulatory compliant for life critical, it'll be the absolute kiss of death for a non-regulatory project team. So we, we can't, like one size does not fit all. And, you know, and I think it's pretty, pretty basic that a, a team, like a large team, will work in a different manner than a small team. A, a team in a, that's you know, spread across the planet will work differently than a team that's co-located. So different teams in different situations will work in different ways. So, and in Dispanagile, we can help you with that. And, and, and help you make those decisions. So I think one of the, the uh, large or you know, the big differentiator for organizations is that we help people to, to make better process decisions and we put them on a, on a true continuous improvement path. So one of the challenges with, um, with prescriptive methods and, and almost all of the, the methods and frameworks out there are prescriptive. So when they have like, when yeah. they give you one way of doing things, um, Regardless of their marketing rhetoric, if they only have one way, if there's an official one way of doing it, or there's best practices, as soon as they talk about best practices, you know you're in prescription land. But they, <laughs> as soon as they start talking like that, um, then they don't really, they're not giving you choices. And, and, and they might be great, cho- you know, they might be great options, right? So, you know, Scrum is great in cer- certain situations. Safe is great in cer- certain situations. Um, and that's okay. But they're not great in all situations. And you have different teams in different situations. So we need to, we need to reflect on that. 
And the, and what happens is when you adopt a prescriptive method, regardless of how good it is, um, you end up in what's called method jail. So Ivar Jakobsen, uh, Jakobsen has been talking about this for a while now. And the basic idea is that, you know, once a method or a framework solves whatever problem you had, you know, assuming you had that problem, it was a good, it was a good process fit yeah. for your situation. Um, once it solves that problem, you're now in jail. You're you're out of luck, right? It doesn't really have anything to offer you. So, and a lot of a lot of the a lot of the the practitioners of these methods and frameworks will tell you, well, you know, my method is the the art of the possible, and you can do anything you want. Yes, but there's no advice, right? So, you know, I'm a you know, if you don't know me, I'm a middle aged fat guy, right? And yes, it's possible. With, with, that wait, I might with a very with a very subtle Canadian sense of sarcasm that I yes. always have to I have to pay a lot of attention to what you're saying to catch when it sneaks in, but it is. Yeah. It's awesome. It's just subtle. There's a bit of, yeah, there's, and sometimes not so, not so subtle, but anyway, <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a middle-aged fat guy. So yes, it's possible that I could run a, I could run a marathon. Um, that's possible, but not very likely. And for me to, you know, and for me to run a marathon. All you have to do, Scott, is walk down to the corner of the Jira gym and sign up and you're good. Yes. Yes. If I only had Jira installed, it'd be all great. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, yeah. So, yeah. So, the, so the thing is, is that, um, yes, it is possible for me to run a marathon, but I got to think it's a bit of work, right? Not knowing anything about that, um, it's, it's a bit of work and I might need some help and maybe somebody, you know, might get, need to get a personal trainer and, and work on it for a bit. So yes, it's possible, but not a lot of advice um, in the method to help me do that. So anyways, so, and so this is our fundamental point. Why are we hanging everybody out to dry? Because some people have figured out how to run marathons. So, yes, the big middle-aged fat guy could figure it out and maybe, you know, live to tell about it. Or I could go and get some help. Maybe I could read some books and, and you know, get some help from a personal trainer or, or, you know, hang out with people who run marathons. Like, there's ways that I can leverage yeah. people's existing learnings. So, this is what DA does. It, instead of just hanging out to dry and saying, yes, it's the art of the possible. You can do whatever you want. Um, go for it and just hire some ex very expensive uh, coaches who probably don't know anything either. Um, <laughs> we can instead leverage uh, an existing toolkit. Um, and you can, so you can make better decisions. And, you know, we like to say in the agile world, you know, we should fail fast. Yeah. And, you know, failing fast is certainly better than failing slowly. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. <laughs> but why should I fail fast? You know, so, you know, going back to the, you know, the, the reasonably mediocre uh, marathon uh, analogy. Why yeah. should I fail fast at trying to figure out, you know, why should the middle-aged fat guy fail fast at figuring out how to run marathons when there is a large body of knowledge about running marathons and I can, you know, talk to people and read and, and do it with a little bit of research and a little bit of thinking, I can avoid failing fast. Instead, I can succeed fast. Okay. And not make as many mistakes as I would if I was start trying to figure things out on my, on my own. And this is the fundamental point. We can help you to actually um, fail less often. And you can increase, and by doing that, you can increase your, your velocity. You can increase the rate at which you do improvement. And this is absolutely critical. So because, you know, we are in this highly competitive market space, we do need to compete. We do need to be effective. And, uh, and we need to catch up. Most organizations desperately need to catch up to you know, either existing competitors or competitors that are about to come into their market and disrupt them. So uh, we really need to find ways to speed up faster. And yes, adopting a prescriptive method is a help. Um, you know, it, it does help without a doubt, and the numbers show that. But you soon hit, you, know, you soon hit a limit. You soon hit the barrier. You, you, you find yourself in method jail once again. 
And frankly, we can do better than that. Or, I mean, I've been at two places in the last month where I found out that they're in the middle of agile transformation and everybody's doing their own approach, except for there's one team that's doing safe. Yeah. I'm like, how do, how do you, how do you do a scaled team with one team? <laughs> how does that even yeah. work? Well, yeah. And, 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 and maybe, you know, we'll give them benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's early days and they're about to ramp up to multiple teams. Um, or maybe they're just misapplying it. You know, they really, well, I think you know, they just misunderstand it. They yeah, don't, exactly. they haven't taken the time. And, and that's one of the things I was going to kind of point out when you were explaining your, the story is that you, they have to take the time to actually learn what they're doing before they kind of read a quarter of the book and decide that they're doing it. Exactly. And, and, and maybe listen to the safe, you know, folks, you know, um, the safe folks are pretty clear about where safe is applicable and where it's not. And so a single small team, you know, the safe folks are very clear. That's not the way to go. So, um, you know, so, you know, maybe we should listen to them, but the, so, and then, and so you really want DA right in in that sort of situation because you still have some hard problems to solve. You still need to figure things out. So there's a huge challenge here where we've, in some ways, the Agile community has dumbed things down over the years. And we sell these simplistic solutions in, into a complex environment. And it's, it's not right. The soft, you know, just software development alone is hard. It's complex. Um, so you know, taking a, a, you know, a couple of days certification workshop is not going to teach you how to do that. Right. You know, back in the day, I, you know, I had to go to school for four years um, in order to get a job as a junior programmer. And, and things have gotten harder since then. So we need to... We need to uh, reflect on the fact and embrace this fact that we do face complexity. Yeah. And as a result, we need people who know what they're doing and we need people who can work together effectively. And that means that there will be a process. And I appreciate that process is a dirty word for some people and we can rename it. Not right? for the PMI people. Not to the PMI people, which is good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but even though, you know, the PMI people will work with non-PMI people. Yeah. So um, we need to understand that, you know, process can be a dirty word for some. So, but we need to reflect on the fact there is a process. There always, you know, always will be a process and that process needs to be fit for the situation and it needs to be fit for purpose and it needs to be as lightweight and streamlined as possible. And that means we need to make choices and that means we need to, we need to have a process background and be able to make these decisions. So in Agile, we, we, we're constantly telling people you should own your own process and that's wonderful advice. But if you don't even know it's for sale, then how the heck can you own your process? Yeah. This is where the, it's always sort of fallen down for the agile folks is that it's, you know, they, they, they give this, you know, they give these platitudes and, but then they don't follow up. And so if you want to own your own process, then you really need to be able to make process decisions. And that means you either need to be a process expert, which is not the most interesting thing in the world other than you know, process <laughs> monk like myself, but for everybody else, yeah. Um, yeah, for normal humans, you need to have you know, a little bit of advice and a little bit of guidance. And, and because we're in this complex environment, that means the, the advice is going to be, there's going to be some complexity to the advice. Okay. And, and that's okay. And, and you're not, you're not going to learn how to do that without doing a little bit of reading and getting some experience. Yeah. So, you know, so for those people re- only reading a quarter of a book, well, it's, I think it's great that you read a quarter of a book because that's probably you finish the damn promote. thing. Yeah, but yeah, but thanks for everything and maybe fall and, and realize there's other books out there that you might also want to read because, um, you know, one book is not enough. Yeah. Um, All right. I want to switch gears. I want to ask okay. you about the big announcement. So the Agile conference ended. We all got on a plane to go home. And then PMI puts out a press release announcing that they have acquired Discipline Agile. So 
Can you comment on that and like what led you to that? Yeah. So, so the, the purchase actually um, happened on August 1st, which was like a day or two before the, you know, the big Agile Alliance conference. And unfortunately, we just couldn't get our act together to get, you know, get the official um, announcement uh, written up. And out so the you must have been like chomping at the bit like you, you uh, didn't get to, that must have been crazy. It was killing me. It was like, oh, <laughs> come on, we could, we could slap something together really quickly. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I, I wasn't allowed to. And, 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 Frank, and you know what? The message would have been drowned out at the Agile Conference every, That's anyway because everybody, everybody announces that week. So yeah. Um, so, yeah, so announcing a week or so after was actually a good thing. So, um, and actually just uh, uh, last week, we announced that uh, we purchased Flex from... Uh, from yeah, well, I'm Net- going there in a minute. Let's just okay, talk good. about yeah, your yeah. stuff first. Stay focused. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, so uh, yeah, it, it was painful to not be talking about, particularly because of some of the conversations I got into. Yeah. Um, but then again, too, it also gave me a little bit of a, a breather to enjoy that conference because, um, you know, as soon as we announced, I just, you know, got overwhelmed with questions and, and good stuff like that. So anyway, so... Um, it was nice to have that. Uh, I could still enjoy the conference, but uh, yeah. So so since then, so yeah. So PMI purchased um, purchased DA. Um, this is uh, this reflects PMI's um, you know ongoing um, you know strategy and and uh, you know new strategy in, in the marketplace because the reality is that Agile works and it's here to stay. Now it um, yeah at the same time Agile is not for everybody. So there there are good reasons to still do traditional. And I appreciate that might be heresy for the agiles among us, but um, you know, we need to, we need to reflect on the fact that, you know, if you're building a skyscraper, you're probably going to do it in a reasonably traditional manner. If you're, you know, you're trying to, you know, put, uh, you know, put uh, the space, you know, the space station up in orbit, you're probably going to do it in a traditional manner. So there are some, some projects, um, some endeavors that make sense to do traditional. Um, We also need to reflect on the fact that, some things are pro- make sense to do projects for, and some things don't. And um, I appreciate that might be heresy for the project managers among us. But the DA has always been realistic, and one of our one of the principles behind DA is pragmatism. So we're not about being agile. We're about how can we do the best we can in the situation that we face. And sometimes the best we can do is to be traditional because that is the best approach for that situation. So. So fair enough. Sometimes the best idea is to do a project. Sometimes the best idea is to do a product team, like a long-standing team. So, so all, you know, fair enough. And what we need to do is help people decide wh- and to determine, you know, does it make sense to do, go this way or that way, you know, at the time. And, and you might change your decision later on and that, you know, for good reasons and that's okay too. So, and how can all these different endeavors and projects and product teams and all these good things fit together in a single organization because that's your actual situation. Um, so, cause you know, once again, the, the teams aren't going to be doing, um, all, everybody's not gonna be working the same way and nor do you want that. That is an absolute fool's errand to try to force the same process on everybody and so keep them out of that process jail and just offer them more options in terms of tools and ways to solve different kinds of problems. Exactly. And, and help them make decisions. So, um, you know, uh, an analogy I like to use is uh, one of going grocery shopping. So I'm the cook in the family and my wife is the baker. And so sometimes she'll, you know, in the, the shopping list for the week, I'll, I do most of the, the grocery shopping and the, you know, she'll say buy flour, which to her, because she knows she's about to bake muffins or this or that. So she knows that when she says buy flour, she means, well, flour to bake 
cake, a cake or flour to bake bread, which are completely different things, apparently. So, and then I go. To I the, had no the, idea. Uh, well, yes. Look at the sh- yeah. Like, I, next time you're to in me, there's store, flour and gluten-free flour. That's it. Yeah. Two oh kinds. yeah. Well, next time you're in the grocery store, look at the the flour aisle. Okay. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. So there's there's a lot of flour options. So yeah. I, so I get to the grocery store and there's all these options. I've got no idea what I'm doing. Right. I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know what context is. By the agile flower. Yeah, by the agile flower. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So luckily, you know, having done this before, I'm smart enough to call my wife at that point and uh, you know, be just you know, what, you know, what do you what do you actually want, honey? Um, because yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't have the the ability to make those decisions. And and this I think is a a challenge that we're trying to solve in Dispen Agile is we have just enough lightweight advice to help you understand. Here's what you need to think about. Here are some good options. Here are the trade-offs that you're making. Um, so because you know your situation, we're not going to tell you what a best practice is because there frankly aren't any best practices. That's just marketing stuff. Um, and instead, here are some good practices put in context for you. So pick the right, you know, pick the right practice, pick the right strategy for your situation. So, you know, pick the gluten-free flour because you're baking this. Yeah. Pick the cake flour because you're baking this. Uh, but don't just say, yeah, well, we have to do flour. The best practice is to use flour. That's not, that's not right. right? It's just not, not going to get the job done. Okay. So I'd imagine that, I mean, given PMI's history with IBM and your history with, with Rational, I mean, imagine there's kind of a nice synergy there as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, Dispenagile or Dispenagile Delivery originally came out of, out of my work and, and the work of Mark Lyons and others out of, uh, out of IBM Rational. And then, um, and that was in up until about 2012. And then Rational was nice enough to to transfer the IP over to us, and um, which is which is all good. So they, and they were very generous with them. That was, that was a wonderful thing to do. So they they transferred that to the to the Dispenagile Consortium, and then we we took it from there. We evolved it, and uh, and then, like I said earlier, it evolved into what became the Dispenagile Toolkit. So um, yeah, so there's some nice um, uh, nice potential synergy. Um, there, and because frankly, you know, the toolkit focuses on how do we do agile and lean in an enterprise class setting, and you know, um, we're firm believers in in empiricism, actual empiricism, and um, you know, you know, providing pragmatic advice um, in a context sensitive manner. So uh, we we try to deal with the full picture, and sometimes the full picture is not pretty, but uh, it's what we're all dealing with. So that's okay. just about it. So this is uh, for for the folks in PMI. What what this represents is is a pretty large deal in terms of trying to bring agile tools to the folks who grew out of the pinbox, people like me. Um, and and now that that the the deal is done with um, with Flex as well, that's another set of tools that can help expand the tool set that a project manager coming into Agile has available to them. Um, I'm curious to hear what kind of response you've gotten from the Agile community. Yeah, so it, it's been for the most part pretty positive. Um, you know, there's been a few a few naysayers. Like, so I think you know, eighty to ninety percent positive of of hey, you know, the you know Scott and Al and, and Mark have been you know pretty pragmatic and pretty good and realistic over the years, and uh, you know, I'm sure you're going to do a good job. You know, there's also been a few doomsayers. The you know, a couple of people said, "Well, the agile is now dead." And yeah, but they've been saying that for years. Well, yeah, they've been saying that for, <laughs> that, that for years. But apparent, apparently, the you know the PMI buying Dispenagile was the was uh, you know what killed it. And yeah. it really, 
give me a break. So, um, but that's okay, you know, whatever. And there's a bit of wait and see, um, and fair enough. And and we've gotten good uh, responses as well from the project management community. Um, I think a lot, you know, some very um, uh, um, positive responses actually. And I think uh, so. I think this is going to be a very good uh, thing for both. Uh, I think for ad, you know, certainly for agile and certainly for PMI. Yeah. Uh, to, to sort of up our game. And, well, I would like to offer some some conversational tips to anybody who encounters the skeptics who say that Agile's dead. What the hell is PMI doing? They have no business here. The whole idea of Agile is inspecting and adapting. And if PMI has inspected and adapted and found that it needs to provide more tools to the people who follow their approach, that's what they're trying to do. So if you're walking around talking about PMI in a bad way because of stuff like this, you should shut your pie hole and thank them for trying to get better. I, I think so. That's a good way. To, and, and another thing too is, um, what happened to respect? You know, in Agile we talk yeah. a lot about respect and humility and and very good things like that. But so why don't we, you know, respect um, the fact that you know PMI is doing this and actively um, trying to improve? I think they're and, and actively are improving. It's not just trying; we're doing. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a good thing. And also, I think to Agilists, you know, one one thing I would I would ask them to think about. And reflect on their own behavior is, and, and myself included. This is, you know, I, I've I've contributed to this issue. Um, we love to complain about project managers. Like, you know, if there's, you know, there, if you had to pick like one, you know, you know, one group of people yeah. we love to beat up on, it, it's project My people. Managers. Yeah, yeah. And so, I think you know that's certainly not respectful. And instead, and instead of beating up people for trying, why don't we help them? And why don't we say, hey, you know what, if, if the project managers are really the big problem that we, you know, that the agilists like to say they are, then I would ask you, what are you doing to help that situation? Other than complain, right? That's, so that's a really complain, good point. But what are you doing to help? Yeah. And, you know, get involved. Like, let's help. Let's, let's, you know, let's help project managers get better and to become more agile and, and become productive members of our teams. Uh, I think that's a very good thing, and certainly, you know, it would uh, it would make your life easier if, you know. Um, so why not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. For, I think that's a really good point. Thank you for saying that. Um, so I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are because the, the thing went through with you, and then um, I guess it was last week they announced the deal with Net Objectives. So how how do you feel that Flex is going to complement what you're doing with PMI? Yeah, so it's great. So what had happened? So that so that deal's been underway for a while, and which I knew about. So one of the really good things about the about the um, not having the DA or having the having the DA announcement after the Agile conference was it allowed Al and Al Shallow and I to spend most of that conference together, hanging out and and strategizing and figuring out how can we work together and w- what that meant for us. And, and we're and we're obviously still doing that. And um, actually, that's most of my, the rest of my week um, is working with Al, which is great. To answer the question, though, from a you know a process wonk point of view, um, disponential in many ways is the static view of process and how do we you know how do, you know what are, what are the parts? What are the you know what are the what are the process parts? The practice parts or the strategy parts and how do they fit together? And, and but then um, flex is in in many ways the dynamic view. So what's the flow um, through all of this? How, how can we how can we streamline the flow? So where in DA we always talked about optimizing the flowing and 
told you how to do that. We never really gave you the answer. You know, here's a really good answer. Here's how and to do it. Okay. Here's how to do it. Here, and, and Flex is that really good answer. And so I think there, there's going to be, there's one, I know there's wonderful synergy between DA and Flex um, because what was interesting when Alan and I first started working on, you know, the, this question of how does, how is it all going to fit together? Um, what was really fascinating to me, you know, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of conceptual overlap, but where there was holes in DA, Flex filled them nicely. And where there was holes in Flex, DA filled them nicely. And we just kept, every time there was an issue of, well, you know, you know, DA doesn't do this very well, or Flex doesn't do this very well. The other one of us had the answer. It was like, oh yeah, well, we've been doing that for years. And oh, wow, that's really cool. So, and it, and it just kept happening over and over and over again. And every so often we stumble into, oh yeah, we do it this way. Oh yeah, we do it that way. And there'd be like a 95% overlap between, you know, ignoring differences in terminology sometimes. There'd be this huge overlap um, between, uh, between the two methods. So I yeah. think that was great. All right. So Mark Lines is going to be giving a talk called Learning Zone, Choose Your Wow, Disciplined Agile Strategies for Optimizing Your Way of Working. That's going to be on Sunday, October 6th at 10.05 a.m. According to the schedule that PMI has set up for the event. Yeah, so fantastic. Learn about that. Um, what if folks want to learn more about DA or to get in touch with you? What's the best way to go about doing that? Uh, right now, um, just contact us via PMI. Um, I'm, I'm currently blogging, as will Al, very shortly on uh, projectmanagement.com. Okay. And cool. uh, But certainly certainly through PMI. The uh, Disponential Delivery site will soon be uh, ported over, and uh, we'll be, you know, reskinning it for PMI. So, you, you know, you'd, no, the normal ways you'd contact me through via, you know, via the Disponential or will still be up and running for a long, long time to come. Okay. And they can get you on the Twitter too, right? Scott W. Yeah, Ambler. Um, yeah, Scott W. Ambler on Twitter. Okay, great. This is awesome. I'm very excited for you. Congratulations for the deal. Oh, it's it's very cool. And I hope it goes well when you get to work with Al. And hopefully I'll get to interview him about this stuff soon too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll, I'll point Al your way. Cool. Thanks a lot. Enjoy uh, your time in Philly. Hopefully they'll take you out for a cheesesteak while you're there. Yeah, that's the, that's the one weird thing. I've been going to Philly back and forth and uh, I have yet to have a cheesesteak. That's not right. That has That's to be totally fixed. not right. <laughs> All right. People of Philadelphia, take Scott out for a cheesesteak. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks. My pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Mm -hmm.